Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Praise God. The Glorious Church is our title uh, this morning. The Glorious Church. Jesus is coming back for a church without spot and without wrinkle. A glorious church. Can you say amen to that? In the book of Ephesians 5, 25-27 will be our opening text. New King James Version. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That verse reveals to us that love was the motivating force behind Jesus laying down his life for the church. Love was. Imagine that kind of love. To leave the throne, robe himself in flesh, come to this earth, walk on this earth that he created like no man walked, did what he did, said what he said, went to a cross, suffered and died, bore the wrath of God upon his own being. God raised him up on the third day, praise God, took it to the high court of heaven, offered it upon the mercy seat, obtained eternal redemption for us because he said, I love you. Because out of all this, there's going to come a church. My church, you'll see, he said. You see, before this, there were only two people groups on the, on the earth. The Jew and the Gentile. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Give none offense neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. You see, before Pentecost... There were only two groups, Jews and Gentiles. It didn't matter if you were Russian, Spanish, Finnish, German, Italian. It didn't matter, Greek, wherever you came from. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. Only two people groups on the planet. But then on the day of Pentecost, a third group emerged and was established. And these are those that Jesus shed his blood for and purchased with his own blood. And they came from Jewish People and Gentile people purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he had purchased with his own blood. You are his purchased possession. Whether you were a Jew or a Gentile, when you said yes to the blood that was shed for your redemption, you became part of my church, he said. His church. The third people group on the planet. It's the same today. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. But the church is his purchased possession that he bought 
with his own blood. Hallelujah. Wow. Now, why did he do it? So he could sanctify it and cleanse it. How was he going to do it? With the washing of water by the word. The word washing there is lutron in the, in the Greek. And it means like a labor. The washing of water. It's a reference that he is making to the tabernacle. How when you first came in through the eastern gate. And the first thing you saw was the, the altar of sacrifice. Then was the labor. And then the brazen labor before he went into the holy place. And then the most holy place. And what did it represent or signify? You had to come in by, a by the sacrifice. The blood of Jesus was the sacrifice. And then they had to wash their hands and their feet, which is a sanctification. And that came how? By the washing of water by the word. The washing of water, the labor where they washed their hands and washed their feet. It was their walk. It was their life on earth in the natural world and that they live in. That they were sanctified and set apart so that they would serve God with their lives as they lived. And so he would present the church to himself, a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. Why? Because they were two things. Blood-bought and word-washed. You can say it that way. Blood-bought and bathed in the word. This is how significant it is for us to be people of the word of God. Thank God for the blood that brings us into salvation. But we don't stop there, do we? He wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth, which is getting into the word of God and finding out the truth that liberates, delivers, and sets free and also orders the steps of our lives. Now, in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, we can see this kind of laid out. And we have a handout out there that you can pick up on your way out called the cross in the tabernacle. It kind of outlines some of this where you can see how as the tabernacle was laid out, you can see a cross there. With Jesus' arms out, and it all has representation. But you entered in, there was the altar of sacrifice, there was the labor, there was the holy place, the most holy place with all the articles of worship that were in there, and so on. You can pick it up and read it for yourself. But, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, look at these verses. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he has consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience with the blood, and then our bodies washed with pure water. The washing of water by the word. So, we see two things here. First, washed in the blood. Secondly, bathed in the word. And so I want to use this as a backdrop to share with us some characteristics of God's glorious church. Point number one. First we're washed in the blood. Second we are bathed in the word. Now how significant is that? Well without the blood you have no access to God whatsoever. But with the blood you have access to the holiest place of all. That the high priest could only enter into once a year. Thank God aren't you glad every single day you and I can enter into the holiest place of God's presence. Because of the better blood, the better sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ that gives us interest. Thank God the way into his presence is paved. The roads paved with the blood of Jesus our Lord. Thank God what access. But then also bathe in the word. See without the word we wouldn't know how he wants us to walk, live, behave, conduct ourselves and so on and so forth. So he has given us his word. 
Matter of fact, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. When people that are blood washed get into the word and bathe themselves in the word, certain things begin to happen. The life of God on the inside will manifest itself to the outside because we have a revelation of what God wants us to do and how he wants to live our lives. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And what he's saying is this, as we look into the Word of God and we see who we are in Christ and what we have in Him and what we can do through Him and so on, we are changed from glory to glory. We become more glorious. As you sit as a blood-bought person beneath the teaching of God's Word and you see that God wants you filled with the Holy Ghost and power, guess what? You come, praise God, you get filled with Holy Ghost power because you know you need that power of God in your life to be successful to carry out God's will for your life. But also, you find out as you bathe yourself in the Word of God that God wants us all to walk in the realm of agape love, divine love. He wants love to be the motivating force behind all the activity of our lives. Not just any kind of love, but divine love, agape love, the love that God so loved the world with the, that He gave us His Son. We see that the just shall live by faith. Mentioned many times in the New Testament, the just shall live by faith. And as we bathe ourselves in the Word of God, we discover what it means to live by faith. To rise up and exalt God's Word above our five physical senses. Thank God we can depend more upon the sixth sense, which is our faith and a loving, trusting Heavenly Father, than even what our five, fences, our five physical senses dictate to our lives. Thank God we can learn to live by faith. And then, of course, we have a blessed hope. Thank God for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, our Lord. As we said this morning, death does not have the final say. When you know Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, you're going to meet your loved ones on the other side in glory. You bathe yourself in that word of God. And what does it bring? Peace, joy. It may be our loss, but it's their gain, praise God. And so we focus on their gain until we get there to be with them on the other side. And then, what about humility? We learn about humility when we read Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 5, and right on through verse 9. And we see what Jesus did. He left the throne. He rode himself in flesh. He became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He did that for us. And what do we do? We recognize our need to be humble. Humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord that he would lift us up. We're bathing ourselves in the word. We're being changed from glory to glory. We're giving place to us being a more glorious church on this earth as everyone takes their place and does their part and they're changed from glory to glory. And that list goes on and on. What about generosity? What about being benevolent? What about being submissive and, and surrendering to the will of God? Secondly, the glorious church is triumphant. Look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. It is a triumphant church, not a defeated church. There is so much being spoken of today in this day in which we live about the church being defeated. Well, I got news for you. Jesus didn't say my church will be a defeated church. Never said that. An overcome church. He never said that. Matter of fact, this is what he said. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build whose church? My church, his church, and the gates of hell shall what? Not prevail against it. 
That should be in the forefront of our mind, even at this time in which we live in this culture that we're living in right now, that we began to declare and make it very clear that no matter what we see, what we hear, what we feel, taste or smell, the church of the living God is a victorious, triumphant church. It is not a defeated church. And we will never be defeated no matter what it looks like. Can somebody say amen? Amen. amen. And the gates of hell... There are so many, let's say, descriptions of what this might mean. One I want to throw out to you today because I believe it's pretty accurate. The gates of hell. When you think about a city and you think about its fortified walls, what's the place that's most vulnerable would be the gate, to get into the gate. And in some cases, I understand that because of that, there were some, let's say, security guards set up at the entrance of the gate so that the people came in, they were aware of who was coming in and what they were going there for. And, of course, if you had a business endeavor with somebody, then as they came through the gate, you would meet them and, and so on. So it became the, the gate of councils, where they would actually, the councils, uh, the, where they, get, they would get together and, and counsel and have interaction with one another. Well, the gates of hell then came to represent the councils of hell. It came to represent the wiles of the devil, the strategies of the evil one. The strategies of Satan, the gates of hell, all the powers of darkness, all the wicked devices that he can come up with, all the deception and lies, will never prevail against the church. You know why? Because we know the truth. Amen. And the truth that we know makes us free. And so according to Jesus, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. All the strategies, all the Plans, purposes of the enemy will never, ever overcome his church. Why? Because it's his church, number one. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You see, when you're bathed in the word, this is what you know. We're not going to be overcome because we live in a world but do not fight in the same way the world fights. We fight weapons that are different from those the world uses. Our weapons have power from God that can destroy the enemies, strong places. We destroy people's arguments, every proud thing that raises itself against the knowledge of God. We capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. Can you say amen to that? That's very clear. The weapons of our warfare are not natural. They're not carnal. They're mighty through God to pull down all these thoughts, imaginations, and satanic strongholds that try to come against our minds. So we're not going to be victimized. We're not going to be overwhelmed or overcome. As far as we're concerned, the greater one lives in us. Look at this next one in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Finally, my brethren, be strong in yourselves. Be strong in your religious tradition. Be strong in the doctrines of men. No. Be strong at the place you work out at. Be strong in your exercise program. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of... Whose armor is it? Too often we think we're wearing our armor. It's not our armor. It's the armor of God. The armor of God, that ye may be able, sufficient in resources, strength, and ability, and power to do what? 
stand against the wiles, the strategies of the devil, the plans of the devil. What makes us able? The weapons of God. The strategies of our God. The armor of our God. And then look at that final one. We should all know this verse. At least the latter part of it. You are of God. Can you say that with me? I'm of God. Say it like you really know it. Say it one more time. I'm of God. Little children. And have overcome them. Say that with me. I've overcome them. He's talking about all these evil forces and dark spirits that are out there. I'm of God. I've overcome them. And why? Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Oh, thank God. I know what I'm doing for you. I'm preaching me happy. Greater is he that's in me and you than he that's in the world, and we've overcome them. So we are the church triumphant. We are the church victorious. And Jesus wants us to maintain that mentality no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through. We are not defeated. We are the overcomers. Can you say amen? amen. Do you remember the book of Revelation when Jesus talked about the seven churches? And at the end of each statement that he declared, as far as the church was concerned, to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh, to him that overcometh, seven times. You think he means business about overcoming? The only thing that's going to overcome us is ourselves. The devil's been defeated. He's not powerful enough. The world, he's overcome the world. He said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Right? You know what our biggest enemy is? You're sitting out there. It's your own flesh. My flesh. That's our biggest enemy. And so we've got to rise up and crucify. Well, that's another point. But once again. Number three. The church is glorious because it understands the source of its power. The power source is not intellectualism. It's not military forces. It's not, you ready for it? Political powers... We can't depend on political powers to be victorious in the world that we live in. No matter where you stand, it's not good enough to put you over. Oh, but praise God. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verses 4 and 5. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power, the dunamis, the miracle-working, awesome power of the living God that raised up Jesus from the dead. Our, our faith is in that power. We know the source of our power. It's not ourselves. Thank God for everything we've learned in this realm in which we live, but if that's not going to do it. No intellectualism is ever going to overcome demon powers. But he who lives in you is greater than he who lives in this world. So, remember how it was spoken? Not by might. Not by power. Zechariah 4, 6. But by my spirit. By my spirit. Look at first, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 14. Oh my. Now thanks be unto God, which... Sometimes. No. Once in a while. No. Here, maybe, and there, maybe. No. No. Uh -uh. 
What is that word? Causes. Always. Always causes. Who's the cause of our victory? Always causes us to triumph in Christ and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Who causes us to triumph? Jesus. Hallelujah. Thanks be unto God who always, say with me, you always, Lord, cause me to triumph. It may not look like it. It may not sound like it. It may not appear to be that way. Imagine Jehoshaphat when he was facing the armies that were coming against him. We sang about it here this morning. You don't have to fight in that battle. The battle's the Lord's. The victory is yours. And that's how God wants us to see it. And the more we focus on what he has done and who he is and what his power can do for us, if we just but by faith believe in it, we'll emerge victorious. Because he will always cause us to triumph. Hallelujah. Uh, look in the book of Numbers, if you recall this story. This really kind of lays it out there. It shows us. Let me, before you even put it up, let me give you a background. Under the leadership of Moses, they came to the promised land. And when they got to the promised land, they were just to go in and just take over the land. Because God said, I'll send before you an angel. He'll drive out the Amorite, the High Tide, the Jebusite, all the ites, right? You're going to drive them all out, and I'm going to get you into the promised land. All those ites represented emotional issues that people can have to keep them out of the blessings of the promised land that God provided for them. So they said, we can't do it. There's no possible way we can get in. There are giants, the walled cities are so fortified. There's no way we could possibly penetrate them and get in there. So the 10 spies convinced them that they can't do it. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. They're giants and we're like grasshoppers in our sight and their sight. And what happened? God said, as you spoke in my ears, that's what I'm going to do to you. You will die. 20 years old and up, you die in the wilderness in the next 40 years. 19 and under, you're going to go in. It'll be a while. You're going to go in. But you 10, you 10 that caused my people to doubt my integrity, you 10, you die now by the plague. And according to John Gill's teaching, uh, commentary, on the subject, he said, the plague ate out their tongues and jaws and their navel, heart and mouth for teaching them to doubt God. They said we can't do it. Joshua Caleb said we could. They said we can't. So they died by the plague right there before. When they saw that, these Israelites finally pulled themselves together and said, oh, we better shape up. Come on, boys, let's go take a promised land now. And they're going to rush the gate. Right? So you've got these fortified walls there. The way to get in is going to be through the gate. So we're going to rush the gate. We're going to pound the gate. And we're going to get in. And now let's read up and see what Moses said to them about their strategy. When Moses told these things to all the Israelites, they were very sad. Early the next morning, they started to go towards the top of the mountain saying, We have sinned. We will go where the Lord told us. But Moses said, why are you disobeying the Lord's command? You will not win. Don't, you, don't go because the Lord is not with you. And you will be beaten by your enemies. You will run into the Amalekites and the Canaanites. Who will kill you with swords. You have turned away from the Lord. So the Lord will not be with you. But they were proud. They went toward the top of the mountains. But Moses and the ark of the agreement stayed behind. 
with the Lord did not leave the camp. So they went up and they got slaughtered. Let me tell you something right now. If God's not in it, look out. Now I'm puzzled over this. When God said, I will defeat your enemies for you, they said, we can't do it. When God said, if you go now, you're going to be destroyed by the enemy, they tried to do it on their own. Does any of that make any sense to you logically? Mm -mm. But what does it show you that if God's not in it, look out, defeat is at the door, right? But when God is in it, here's what happens. He goes before you. Look at Joshua chapter 6. Man's way is we'll strategize. We'll pull ourselves together. We'll get our strengths. All the men of mighty valor, come now. We were scared before, but now we're going to go. We're going to storm the gate. And we're going to get into the, the land that God said we can have. Really? That's your strategy. But look at this. When God does it, he doesn't just storm the gate. When the priests blew the trumpets, the people shouted. And the sound of the trumpets and the people shout, the walls fell. Not just the gate. He brings down the whole thing. The walls fell. Everyone ran straight into the city. So the Israelites defeated that city. You see, when God is in it, they all come down. They completely destroyed this with the sword. Every living thing in the city, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied the land, go into the prostitute's house, bring her out, and bring out those who are with her because of the promise you made to her. Well, there's so much in this. So the two men went into the house and brought out Rahab, her father, mother, brothers, and all those with her. They put all her family in a safe place outside the camp of Israel. Then Israel burned the whole city and everything in it, but they did not burn the things made from silver, gold, bronze, and iron. They were saved for the Lord. Wow. Man's way would be to storm the gate. God's way is I'm going to bring down all the walls all at one time. But guess what? Because the promise that he made through these two men that spied out the land of Rahab the prostitute, that's the only place we understand through archaeological discoveries, only place that didn't fall was her house. You think that was a coincidence? Man couldn't do that. Her whole family was spared because she helped the men of God. When God does it, he does it right. So what's not to, you know, rely on him? Why should we not rely on him? Why should we not trust him? We should. The glorious church is a church that recognizes the power source is not our own. We can't do it on our own. But God, when he's on our side, praise God. Victory is ours. Next, the glorious church is a praying and a praising church. <clears throat> praying and a praising. Look at the book of Matthew, chapter 21. And Jesus went into the temple. If you recall, this is the second time that Jesus overthrew the table of the money changers and all that. He was so upset with what they were doing. He cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the table of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said to them, It is written, My house shall be called 
a house of prayer. He just cleansed it so it's a house of purity. Now he says it's a house of prayer. He made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the, in the temple and he healed them. It's a house of power. And when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And he said, and said unto him, rather, hearest thou what these sayest? And Jesus saith unto them, yea, have you never read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. What's he saying? My house is a house of purity, prayer, power, and perfected praise. You want to talk about a glorious church? A glorious church is a pure church. It's a prayerful, praising church. A perfected praise where the power of God is in display and demonstration. I believe in these last of the last days, there is going to be an outpouring of God's Spirit in such a way so as to change. Absolutely, you, you talk about shaking the place where they were assembled together back in the book of Acts. It's going to shake the foundations of all the kingdoms of the world. They're going to see some things they've never seen before here upon the planet. Number five, the glorious church is a unified church. It's a unified church coming together. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12 makes it very clear that when people are together in unity, it's easier for them to overcome. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. He's talking about that there is power in numbers when people unite together and they come together to be of one heart, one mind, one accord, saying the same thing. They create an impenetrable uh, force field around them that the enemy cannot in any way enter into. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 10, this is from the New King James. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you perfectly joined together, be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in this, and, but in the power of God. So in other words, he is saying when people come together and they have the same mind, they have the same heart, same motives, same desires, and they speak the same things, they mind the same things, what happens? It creates of force the enemy cannot penetrate. It makes it easier for them to fulfill their hopes and dreams. It sees to it that, praise God, uh, no matter what you set your hand to do, it will prosper. And it makes a powerful highway for God to move among the people. And so the glorious church is one that's going to be united, not divided. A house divided cannot stand according to Jesus. God wants us to unite. He wants us to become one. Be of the same mind, same heart, etc. Number six, it's a spot and wrinkle-free church. Spot and wrinkle-free church. Okay, we said that, we saw that in the book of Ephesians, but here, as far as practically speaking and positionally speaking, the church is spot-free and wrinkle-free. Spot-free means without a stain. And the only thing that can wash away the stain is what? The blood of Jesus. And so we can see that here in, in um, Colossians chapter 1. Look at this, verses 21, 22. This is from the New Century Version. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your, mi in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Say with me, I'm holy unblameable, unreprovable in his sight, positionally. Wow. 
But then practically, practically, by the washing of water by the word. I'm telling you, I cannot emphasize the importance of getting established in the word of God and laying a foundation. In the book of Galatians, chapter uh, 5, verses 24 and 25, after he talks about the fruit of the spirit. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. He is talking about putting our flesh under and allowing the spirit on the inside that's been regenerated by the power of God through love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness ooze out the very glory of God that's on the inside of us as we manifest it in the world. You know, the world has to see changed people. Would you agree? The world has to see people that have Christ on the inside living on the outside. And that we're walking in the glory, walking in the power, walking in the holiness, the godliness, the truth of God's word. And that's what he's talking about here. So he's coming back for a church that is glorious. Bathed in the word of God as well as the blood of Jesus. And then also, it is a glory-filled church. Are you ready for it? It is a glory-filled church church. It would not bother me one iota if we walked through those doors and we walked into the glory in such a way that we couldn't stand for by reason of the cloud. And all we'd have to do is just sit there and bathe ourselves in the glory of Almighty God and let God have His way and do what He wants to do in every human life. I'd love to see sinners come off the street and walk in here and just get through that door and walk out that door completely, not know what hit them, but they're born again, spirit-filled, faith-walking, tongue-talking, armor-bearing, devil-resisting, living epistles of the living Christ, healed, delivered, and set free by the power of God by just walking in through the glory. It's not about us, it's about who He is. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 5, just a couple of verses here. This is what they had, and we've got better promises, and we've got better blood. So we should have a better degree of glory. It came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound and to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and the instruments of music and praised the Lord saying for he is good for his mercy endures forever. That then, see the word then there? Then, when everyone came together in unity of heart, motive, desire, bringing their abilities with the right attitudes, then as they begin to praise the Lord, the house was filled with the cloud, even the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister for by reason of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house of God. Hallelujah. Chapter 7, beginning at verse 1. Same thing. Now when Solomon made an end of praying, the fire came down. From heaven consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not stand for in the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord that filled the house, the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how that the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, what happened? They bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worshiped and praised the Lord saying for he is good, his mercy endures forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Notice the pattern here. Sacrifice, fire, glory. Sacrifice, fire, glory. What's our sacrifice? The fruit of our lips to give thanks to his name. What happens? It brings the fire into our lives. What happens? The glory of God will manifest. 
So when we gather together, praise God, what do we want first of all? To bring a sacrifice before the throne of Almighty God. A sacrifice of hearts that are sold out, dedicated, surrendered to Him. That we are living our lives to glorify Him and honor Him and magnify Him. To use our talents, our gifts, our abilities, no matter what they might be. Every, everyone necessary and everyone needed in the body of Christ. For the head can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. And we unite ourselves together in one heart, one mind, one accord. For what reason? To give place to the glory of God that raised up Jesus from the dead to manifest among us as we gather together and worship God. Sacrifice, fire, and glory. And you know where it starts? With me. I give myself to you, Lord. Burn up the chaff in my life. I want to just be transparent before you. Take me, quicken me, do whatever you need to do in me. And finally, look at over there in Psalm 63. This should be the desire of every person's heart. Everyone. No matter who we are. Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsts for thee, and my flesh longs for thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is, to see your power and your glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Why? Because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus will I bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Go ahead, lift them up. Let them know that it's not about me. It's, not, it's just about you. I have, I'm thirsty and hungry for you to see your power, to see your glory. As I've seen you in the sanctuary, I want to be a part of a glorious church that says I'm not satisfied with anything less. Hallelujah. I want all of you. We surrender our everything to you, Lord. And in closing, it's a committed church. Committed to discipleship and evangelism. Notice the two important facets of the church. The purposes of the church. Discipleship and then evangelism. Discipleship. Let's start with just this. We get the lost saved. We get the saved established. We get the established trained and the trained sent out. That's exactly how the pattern should be. We get those that are lost saved. We bring them in and establish them in the truths of God's word. We train them in the things of God and then we send them out into the world to do what? Continue to work for God and evangelize the world that they live in as well. But notice in Mark 16 verse 19, and this is what we need more than anything else. After Jesus said, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He that believes in the baptized shall be saved. He that believes not shall be damned. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name, they'll cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it won't hurt them. They'll lay hands on the sick, they shall recover. The gospel hasn't changed. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he, re he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. Mission fulfilled. And they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them. The them's not there. It's italicized. Working with and confirming the word with signs following. We want signs, then preach the word. Amen. Proclaim the truths. Declare it among the people. Thank God, exalt the word above everything else. In a culture in which we're living right now, but it seems like the word has been given second place to everything else in society, we must emerge as the church. The blood-bought, redeemed of the church, filled with Holy Ghost fire and power, equipped with the Word of God, bathed in the Word of God to let the world know that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So let's unite and do exactly what He wants us to do. 
come together in unity and harmony and love and proclaim Jesus so that we could become the glorious church that he is, I believe, wanting to come and bring back to himself, even at this moment. I believe that white horse is probably getting ready to leave heaven's sphere. Think about it. On a quick note, on October the 9th, Andrew is going to be sharing his testimony at a church in Beaver Falls. I will be assisting him. I met someone at the Y who is an elder there at the church, and he's, he said, I, I shared, of course, shared Andrew's testimony with him. And he said, would he come to our men's breakfast on a Saturday morning and just share? And even though Andrew is not an early riser, <laughs> by no stretch of the message, <laughs> no way, he said, I'll do anything for Jesus, Dad. So he's looking forward to it. He's longing to do it. Of course, I'm going to just share some scriptures and, with the group. But he is longing to tell people. He told me just yesterday in the car, he said, Dad, this is so beautiful. He said, the smell of heaven is like something you've never smelled before. I said, what? He said, the smell, the fragrance is so wonderful. It's so beautiful. He said, the colors are just, I can't describe it because we don't have colors like that. The flowers sing, and just on the golden streets, and as he's just describing everything that he saw when he was there. But the thing that stood out more than anything, of course, was Jesus. But he said, oh, the smell. If it's just for the smell, I can't wait to get back there. Think about it. Let's all stand together before the Lord.